everybody, this episode of Star Trek The Next Conversation is brought to you by our old friends at the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. Oh, they're our only supporter, and quite frankly, you should support them for supporting us. All you have to do to get buy one, get one free over at the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in Hollywood, California, the auditorium. All you gotta do is walk up there, you say, hey, I listen to STTNC. Can I buy one, get one free? That's right. It rhymes. That's $20 for two people after 5 p.m. I can't think of a better way to spend an evening other than listening to this podcast. Hey, if you want to listen to this podcast and go to the auditorium at the same time, no one's going to stop you. There's lots of things to read, so you can listen to Andy and I while you're reading and experiencing things that you can choose to either believe or not. Here's the show. Podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Everybody, welcome back to Star Trek. I don't know why I'm saying welcome back. Welcome to Star Trek: The Next Conversation. I am Matt. I'm Andy. We are here. We are into season three of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Andy's probably confused by these character-driven plots, the growth we're seeing in Data, the interesting uh, nuances we're seeing in Picard getting frustrated with aliens. Quite frankly. This is just a taste of what's to come. Andy, how you feeling? Um, I'm I'm a little bit flummoxed. I gotta say, <laughs> flummoxed. Uh, you know, when you sit down, you're, you're usually it's there's just a bounty of of notes I have to write, and uh, in these first few episodes, it's just sort of like, Bo, come eh, on, that uh, that teaser made sense. That made sense. It's just sort of, <laughs> it's gonna have to, as people predicted, we're gonna have to change our change our tone a little bit oh i disagree no there's always stuff to find in these delightful little episodes here uh i'm very excited about it and uh i'm I'm hoping that everyone's still along for the ride and enjoying the new season three open which is uh you know it's a different uh different planets beautiful different background and these new uniforms are great Yes. Uh, and we get the Sheliac finally. Oh, the Sheliac play a huge role in the rest of the series. I'm guessing they don't. No. no. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to see if I, I can. did enjoy the uh their the visualization of them. It was very Battlestar Old Star Battlestar Galactica the whole thing. They looked like Armises. Armises. Is that Battlestar? That killed the Tashiar Armis. Oh, yeah, they do Didn't look like Armises. Yes. Just a little less uh and more clothy, I guess. Yeah. Hi Bo. Okay, my dog is really... I, I just got back from uh, New York uh, like uh, an hour ago, so Bo is very excited. Matt, are you going to share any of your exciting experiences with the uh, the good 
the good listeners? Uh, no, I just had a great time in New York. Hung out with Frakes for quite a while. He's a lovely man. Look at how casually he drops it like this wasn't his boyhood dream. Listen, we've spent some time together in the past. We've watched Patriots games. and uh, Just you and him? And we watched Black Panther. Yes. Oh, you watched the Patriots games in New York this time? Last time we Last watched. Last time, yeah. I see. I didn't. I don't know if that I that I caught that. Is he is he a Patriots fan? He he uh, he has a home in Maine. You know. I cannot imagine Matthew Myra mm-hmm. watching a Patriots game with Riker. Your brain must have been exploding. Uh, listen, Jonathan's a great guy. Uh, look at him. Look at how chill he's acting. He's Makes a, me sick. He's a good guy. Very uh, <laughs> thoughtful, good this, director, wonderful man. This is why Matt could be friends with celebrities, and I can't because I go, <laughs> "Oh my God, what? you're that person! What are you doing? <laughs> oh. I can't believe I'm here with you." <laughs> Bo, you are out of control right now, buddy. But he's looking up a storm. Oh, I know, I know. It's very exciting. This is weird. I've never recorded a podcast so soon after returning from a trip and had my dog around. Matt, would you? Yes, I. What do we have to do? Watch the Ensigns of Command. Of course. Or is it just Ensigns of Command? I, I believe it's. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, the Ensigns of Command, Andy. Okay. Um, oh boy! Oops! Uh-oh. I almost well, hit we, that. We that sorry, sorry, sorry. That was me. That was me. I, uh, the we warp core shot out. For shot a second. into the vacuum of the space warp for, a second. Shot out for a second. Uh, all that being said, let's take a peek in the Admirals Club. Good Matt, how do people get into the Admirals Club? Well, it's very easy, Andy. All you have to do... Good God. Bo, you have to sit. I'm sorry, everybody at home. I'm having a little problem with a giant dog. Uh, All you have to do, Andy, is leave a five-star review in iTunes Mm -hmm. uh, saying how much you enjoy the podcast. Honestly, you can say anything you want. As long as you leave a five-star review, you'll be admitted into the illustrious Admirals Club. Bo, get down. Let's hear it. Best space adventure podcast of all time from Bushwick Kev. Matt and Andy guide us through the 24th century adventures of the Enterprise D. Now Bo's going after me. With laughter, sensitivity, and grace for lovers of 90s space adventure and the podcast form in general, this one is a must listen. Great to have the podcast back after their extended hiatus. Galaxy is a richer place for having them back, and I can't wait for them to hit some of the better episodes to come. Shout out to my girlfriend Katie. She's the banana in my hammock. I'm not sure what that means. Should I have not read that on the air? <laughs> it was five-star the review. Banana in the guy's my an admiral. The, yeah. does, that, does that just mean the like, dick in your underwear? No, she's the banana. He's the hammock. So it sounds like he's the he's the, the female. <laughs> I, no, I don't know that it's a female. Banana hammock I've always just heard of as a, as a thong. Whatever the case. I'm very confused. I the Admirals Club is getting to be a weird place. It seems positive. Huge fan from John Schrader. You guys are awesome. I've been a huge fan since day one, baby. <laughs> if you could give a shout out to Freak Gaming on YouTube and iTunes, that would be great. There we go. We just did somehow. Love you guys. Really excited for season two. It's like a clip show every week. Now, I feel like I might have read this last week. That's an insult. It's like a clip show every week. I take it as an insult. Anyway, and I appreciate my son it. Jacob loves the podcast. Every Monday morning on the way to school, we listen. He gets so excited the podcast about a 30-year-old show that he's never seen. Um, it just means the world to him to hear his name in the podcast. Jake, live long and prosper, my son. Uh, I, I clipped that a little bit because I feel like I've read it before. I don't remember you reading that. All right. Well, whatever the case. Um... And uh, now, 
there was a lot of debate, and we got a couple of things. Couple, debate about the MVC. Uh, no, about the United Federation of Planets and whether there should be a theme or not. And then someone sent in a sound clip. Okay. Um, and here it is. Welcome to the United Federation of Planets President's Club. I don't hate it. No, it's, <laughs> it's very simple. It's, it's very simple. It gets to the point. It's what the, honestly something that either of us could have done, but there hey, you go. Hey, hey, hey. We wouldn't have done it. We certainly wouldn't have. And that came from Andrew Hook, a long-term listener. Thought these might help with the podcast so you can get some audio cues just for the President's Club. Oh, by the way, really glad you guys are back. My winter was becoming quite bleak up here in Canada without you guys cheering me up. Very nice of you, Andrew. Thank you for sending it. Um, Charles Dixon is the first president in the United Federation of Planets President Circle. Sent us seventeen dollars and uh, one cent. He's actually the only one this week. Seventeen oh one. Hey Matt. Hey Andy. Eyes in the dark. One moon circles. I have serious insomnia right now, but you guys are back, and I have an episode to keep me sane. Keep kicking ass, Kenny. Very nice of you. Wait a minute. Kenny, it's from Charles Dixon. I don't know. Maybe there might be some fraud going on here, guys. <laughs> Whatever the case. Um, and then Andrew also sent us an outro sound. Here it is. This is for leaving and the... that was the United Federation of Planets <laughs> President's Club. He's got a good voice for it. It sure is. <laughs> um, and now, my good friends... Captain, we are being hailed. Let's open up the hail bag. Remember that from last weekend? I do. I think we can keep that. I like a hail bag. <laughs> okay. Josh Stafford, this is a little long, says, I love you guys. think the show is great, but with all due geek respect, your rating system is bonkers. I don't know if you realize you do this, but you're both in the habit of praising an episode, saying you like a lot of things, then giving it a three out of ten. I had a feeling you would have a lot to say on this one, Matt. Earlier on in the series, your rating practices were so low, I genuinely thought you were rating on a scale of 1 to 5, not 1 to 10. You routinely give Fs to episodes that it seemed like you should be giving Ds or possibly Cs to. Um, here's the scholastic grading system I grew up with here in Ottawa, Canada. 80 to 100%. Students demonstrate an exemplary performance to what is expected. No, no 90 to 100 is an A. Yeah. 80 to 90 is a B. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, 80 to 89 is a B. Okay. 70 to 79 is a C. And below that, it's fucking failing. So our rating system, by the way, yeah. young young Canadian fellow, is perfectly in line. Time for retrospective. Truth is our objective. It's a prime corrective. Because Matt and he got it wrong. That feels weird that you played that right as I was talking i was ranting at a canadian it actually just rolled from one uh, sound cue right to the next and i was like oh we do have we do have one um, one which is uh um oh man it was a google voicemail um but one which was um it, that you wrote nanobots on the uh, on the twitter no not on the twitter on the uh, uh, the description, description. Yeah, are yeah. they not nanobots they're, na- they're nanites um, which uh, raised a separate uh, issue, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. someone commented on. Sarah, I don't remember if you want your last name said Sarah. If you do, then email me and I'll say it next week. <laughs> um, but uh, dear Matt, Andy, and Matt, so you guys were going over the scene with Guinan and Wesley, where we were talking about the nanites and how they repair human tissue. Blah blah blah. Hang on a sec. Um, oh no. 
There we go. Uh, so considering the future series events concerning the transdimensional creature, the Traveler, I think that Wesley, in his transdimensional travels, somehow is responsible for the Borg. His brand of highly intelligent nanites were introduced into a society where they began to overtake the organic tissue of imperfect beings, must create a hive mind, we are Borg. So good to see Wesley having fun indeed. Mwahahaha. And I agree with that, and I thought to that to myself during the week. Wait a minute. He created nanobots. He probably created the Borg. Psychopath that he is. Didn't we create the Borg by sending out V'ger? Oh, is that that's a separate theory, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't know. I like the idea that Wesley created them more. But they had already dealt with them. Did they? Yes, in season two, they dealt with the Borg before before Wesley created the. Oh no, I know, but uh, you know, she's saying it's there's some kind of trans time. Oh, a uh, trans warp time conduit. Yeah, some kind of your classic kind of your classic trans warp time conduit. It's kind of um, you know a time amalgam. Um, all right, here's a voicemail. Okay, dokie. Hey guys, this is Chris Marino again. He was drunk one. Two beers in, so this will be unusually coherent. Hey, I was just thinking that uh, since you guys both work in Hollywood to an extent, when you're doing like recaps of the shows and stuff like that, have you ever had any interactions with any of the guest stars? Or obviously, I know Matt, you've met a bunch of the uh, cast of TNG and stuff like that. If you have any like stories at conventions or stuff like that to be to relay it on the show, that would actually be kind of cool to hear it since. As much of a fan as I am, I have never once been to a convention, so I guess I believe probably too drunk, Chris. Through hearing <laughs> stories on podcasts and stuff like that, not safe to drive. Anyways, thanks, guys. There's got to be work. a con heading to Reno, right? Sure, I would imagine. Uh, let's see. What do I have? Any stories about these uh, casts? These casts. Oh, you know what? Goals? I once directed. Uh, I don't know if this counts. It's not TNG. It's a TOS. Should I? I think that counts. Okay. I uh, once directed Shatner in a um, in a bit on late night at late night with Conan, uh-huh. where it was about it was it was uh, it was about the, him trying to get guests on the air and um, and uh, Shatner <laughs> and Shatner uh, took a cyanide cap capsule in order to avoid being uh-huh. a guest on the show. Sure, um, and uh, it was. And it was like a bunch of guys coming up to him, and uh, and he's like, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do." And he had a documentary crew following him around, so he wanted to show that he was directing and not me. And so he like grabbed me and did a wrestling move with me as part of the bit to illustrate or in the document, basically to to illustrate how he was gonna do the scene. He pulled me into the scene to fight me instead of one of the actors. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Basically, in the scene, he fights off a couple of guys that are trying to grab him to get him on the show. In the scene. Oh, okay. All right. The documentary crew, though, that's part the, of your bit? No. The documentary crew was just following Shatner. This around is crazy. For some other thing that Shatner was doing, and he was putting on a show of how he directs right. everywhere he goes okay. by All grabbing right. me and putting me in a headlock. But I was like, Kirk, just put me in a headlock. Understood. <laughs> Um, and then he bit the cyanide caplet in the thing, which someone can probably find mm-hmm. online somewhere, by going, um, I'll show you. You won't get me. And he grabbed the cyanide caplet, put it in his teeth, and went, like, I don't think that's how you would eat a cyanide caplet, but I'm not going to give shit in her direction. No, no, no. According to Nicholas Meyer, you'd have to go through another 10 or 15 takes before you got a normal performance. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Uh 
All right. I think we're... Uh, we're ready? There we're was ready. one other thing that you made a mistake about Pegasus. You, I made a mistake about the Pegasus? Uh, oh, here it is. The multiphasic. This is from our other our drunk friend here. Admiral here Pressman's Pegasus? No, again, I just wanted to comment on your guys' uh, short episode, your runabout episode. That is really awesome. I think you should do more of those where you can kind of discuss some fan theories or Andy theories, for instance, because the next episode, Evolution, I read some weird fan theory one time where they gave rise to the Borg. But in any case, I'm sure that's some sort of fan fiction. But still, that is a fantastic idea. I mean, they do get to go live on their own planet, which I see seems very dangerous. The... Oh, yeah. It's completely weird. They send a lot of people to planets. They send people in this episode to planets. They're just like, here, just go on this other planet and do whatever you're going to do. Um, I didn't. I still haven't hit this thing. And I apologize to everyone. I haven't hit what thing? I had a... There was a There was a, uh, a prime corrective and I can't find it. We said there was some... We misattributed some episode to something. And I can't, I can't find the uh, voicemail. Uh, Wait, is it was he about Pegasus. About, uh, here's my get. My guess is okay. that he was talking about when I played the clip of Enterprise, uh-huh. the finale of Enterprise, which takes place during the episode The Pegasus. Oh yeah, that was uh-huh. probably it. And he's and, saying that that was wrong. I think so. Well, he's wrong. Here we go. Ah. Found it. Oh, here we go. Hey, it's Chris from Reno it's again. Chris from Reno. I love it. Chris, I love it. Chris, love it. Yeah, Shades of Grey was uh, pretty terrible, and I did not realize that you guys missed out on the Andes and the exactly. Uh, we were so entertaining. Terrible, but Pegasus was in season seven, not season six. Oh, Matt, okay. You messed up. I'm sorry. All right, I'm okay. Just That's, fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's reasonable. Um, and uh, that was the uh, prime corrective. <laughs> it was real long. And I'm going to close the hills now. Closing up the hell bag. All righty. This is a 10 o'clock at night one, folks, if we both sound a little bit disoriented. I'm fine. He's actually doing great. <laughs> I'm the one with the issues. Why, why are you just, what did you do today, Andy? What was Andy's day like? What was Andy's day? I was, you know, I'm planning for a trip to Patagonia. Right. You're going to go to Patagonia tomorrow. Yes. So um, I'm very scared and of, excited. Uh, of what? I don't know. I'm I'm a city boy. I don't understand anything about mountains or glaciers. I, it's a weird trip for you to take, honestly. Yeah. If you're Going just asking, good old Steve Basil. If you're just asking, asking your friend Matt, if if it's a weird trip for you to take, my answer is yes. Will you enjoy it? Probably. You're not going to get hurt. You're going to be fine. Are you sure? Yeah. I, I bought a bunch of I bought a bunch, bunch of, of first updated. aid kits. <laughs> I, did, I did get some stuff for when my feet inevitably hurt, but uh, yeah, some mold. Bring some moleskin. That's going to be good to have. Yes, I think that is what I got, and um, and I got uh, and I got a, a several you, sh- sh- layers and shells. And did you get shit a like decent that. shoe? Did you get a decent hiking shoe? I did, did although I did shoe? not know, and I did not break it in. And oh, and the girl God. said, "Well, you're probably going to get some blisters." those in bro but i don't i don't what you size just, is your shoe 11 and a half don't you just do, do you this want to take mine that are broken in but don't you just do the same thing on the trip that you would do walking around to break them in yeah but you're not like the idea being you're not you're not 
four miles into a 16-mile hike or something like that, you're well, just breaking them in at your required... Luckily, I think I'll be protected by the fact that I can't walk more than five blocks without being out of breath. So This is crazy. I, don't, I can't uh, wait. Uh, oh, we also... I kept saying Kedden Jennings last week. Oh, yeah, that was of another... Jenkins. That's right. another... That's another correction. Another. Uh, we own up to our flaws. So, this is fascinating. You're going to Patagonia. Are you, are you staying in some sort of luxury uh, resort? I honestly, give no it will idea. be much You're like a transporter going, being transported down to a planet where we can't scan the surface because uh, our friend, our mutual friend Steve, who works with us at the Goldbergs, is the one who said, "Hey, I'm going to Patagonia." We got into a conversation. I said, "Do you want any company?" He said, "Yeah," and then we both went, and he organized everything. And I keep looking at stuff, and I'm like, "Wait, how long is the flight there?" So uh, the flight it'll be, there is long. It's real long, it's and it's real long. It's several. You got to make a couple stops, right? Yeah, we're gonna stop in Mexico, and then we got to fly on, and then there's gonna be other stuff like, like I think we're stopping in Santiago, uh-huh. and then there for a night, and then we're gonna drive another four or five hours. It's like the whole thing is insanity. So, and I know nothing about what's going to happen. It's, it's a, a very strange interesting trip. adventure for you. Do you ever have you ever gone on trips like that? No. You always find figure. Well, out. you know, I I go on trips like that accidentally by virtue of the fact that like Dory plans everything, and then I'm like, where am I going? Okay, let's go. Yeah, I need a Dory, but it's never like we're never we're never like off to Santiago for a night, or you know, yeah, it's never that kind of a thing. Like our trip, our next trip is uh, we're going to Disney World, right? <laughs> I think I, I think I know what to expect. Yeah, I would know, I would know Disney World. That's very interesting. Going to Disney World. Yeah. Even though Disneyland is here. My parents are in Orlando. Oh, right. You said this to me last time. Yeah. I yeah. tune out a lot. I do like to see my parents. Matt. Cliff Bowl directed this episode, Andy. Okay. Uh, it's one of uh, Frank's favorite directors. Oh, really? Cliff Bowl. Interesting. You're good. Uh, You're Were you going to play a thing? I think I'm a little bit... Mm, no. Oh, okay. I don't think so. Because I felt like you were winding up to play a thing. Anyway, Andy, this episode aired uh, October 2nd, 1989. This is the instance of command. What was happening in the world? Let me tell you, Matt. Um, on October 22nd, uh, October 2nd, 1989, Janet Jackson mm-hmm. led the U.S. pop charts with Miss, Miss You, you much. much, maybe. That's right. Oh, boy. Let's hear what that sounded like yes, while we're up there. Oh, we don't need that music video stuff. It's not an ad. It's music video preambles. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, sure. I remember that. I loved Janet Jackson back in the day. While in the U.K., uh, that's what I liked by Jai Bunny and Jai Bunny and the Mask. Master Mixers was preferred. Black Rain stayed in the lead at the box office, while It's Always Something by Gilda Radner was a bestseller. Hurt New York Yankees center fielder Aaron Hicks was born. Jesus. Denmark enacted the world's first civil union allowance for same-sex partners. Good for you, Denmark. Uh, Manuel ne- Man- Oh man, I'm a terrible podcaster. Manuel Noriega successfully foiled an attempted coup in Panama, and the Time Magazine cover was a day in the life of China special edition. Did you know that Gilda was married to G. E. Smith from 1980 to 1982? G. E. Smith of the Saturday Night Live band, the Telecaster player. Really? <laughs> yep. Just found that out. And then she did she leave him for Gene Wilder or that was yeah, married Gene Wilder in eighty four. Eighty four. That's not much of a turnaround. Eighty two to eighty four, that's plenty of time. Yeah, I guess that's true. Plenty of time to fall in love, Andy. Is that right? Who knows what you're gonna do in Patagonia? That's oh wow. <laughs> I think I'm gonna fall in love with my Sherpa. 
Anything else? That's it? That's the news? That's the news. That's what was going on then? Yep. Simpler time, everybody. Simpler time. <laughs> was it? That's all that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was more. All right. This episode was directed by Cliff Bull, written by Melinda M. Snodgrass, everybody's favorite writer of Measure of a Man. Right? She wrote Measure of a Man, didn't she? Yes. The uh, Used to be an, an IT consultant, right? Or was uh, that her I thought friend? she was a lawyer. Oh, maybe she was a lawyer. Uh, but anyway, she seems to get data. Like, she likes to write a little data action. She here. sure does. Okay, so here's the uh, here's the uh, synopsis of this episode, everybody. The reclusive Shelly at corporate breaks its 111-year silence with the Federation to demand that Tau Sigma 5, ceded to it by treaty, be cleared of a human settlement within three days. Forgotten by the United Federation of Planets, the strayed colony ship deposited settlers there 90 years earlier. They have tamed the desert and now number over 15,000. News of the colony is doubly surprising since the settlers had to adapt to the fatal hyper- hyperonic radiation that bathes the planet. Because of that danger, Data is sent to announce the evacuation, but he runs up against a stubborn leader, Goshevin who shrugs off the unseen Sheliak's threat and won't budge despite his people's growing qualms. Picard and Troy ask for a delay from the Sheliak, but the presumptive race is stubborn as the Tysaginians, or whatever the hell you would say that, Tysignans, I suppose? Mm, you guess it better than mine. Data gets nowhere in his mission despite the help of a far-sighted Signan woman, uh, Aid Ard- Ard- Ardrian? I think it was Ardy. Oh, oh, yeah, I guess Ardrian is a long Ardrian, name. yeah. But people uh, called her Ardy. Until he finally shows the settlers the dangers they face by launching a frightening, though restrained show of force. Picard congratulates Data on the creativity of his effort after achieving a victory of his own, beating the arrogant Sheliak with their own treaty at the evacuation. <laughs> to get the evacuation delayed. Oh, hey, ah, guys, thank you so much. Director Cliff Bowl once again came up against a budget axe as he watched his episode take a $200,000 cut at the last minute. Hmm. That's crazy, by why the way. Did, why did he take it? I don't know. They, they probably needed it for something else. Strange. I don't understand this episode. I mean, I don't understand this the, the way they did things. The show cost $1.5 million. Right, yeah. so which was um, enormous. The for show the time. cost one point five million dollars to make. By the time it was sold to syndication, it was sold to two hundred and seventy six stations. Right, right. It was the first run syndication. By the time the show was sold into first run syndication, that show, an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, was worth six million dollars to Paramount. Wow! They only paid one point five million dollars in a budget. Wow! The show was immediately worth. Six and a half million dollars. Crazy. So they already they clear a five million dollar profit before it airs, and that's. I wonder why. I guess eventually they just the cast wants to leave, right? Or at least Patrick Stewart. Like, why don't they just go on forever? Uh, some of them would have, but they were like, okay, we're gonna because they had Deep Space Nine running, Voyager was coming, and they were like, well, let's move you guys to movies. Um, I just spotted something interesting, uh, Matt. What 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 is it? Sheliak director in the Ensigns of Command was also the voice of Armus. Oh, Mart Dane McChesney's voice. It's an actor. Oh, that's interesting. Um, let's see what else he was in. Just a thought. Well, listen, Data uh, wants. Th- th- this is the first of. This is the first time you've seen a concert in ten forward, right? Hmm. 
in 10 forward perhaps it can't be the first time we've seen a concert well i feel like this is the first of nine thousand concerts in 10 forward we're going to be seeing for the rest of our days here oh yeah there are a lot oh yeah by the way i love that uh, o'brien somehow plays the cello <laughs> only was, this one time that was the most incongruous of anything we saw may i suggest you attend the second concert why data ensign ortiz will perform the violin part my rendition will be less enjoyable oh Although I am technically proficient, according to my fellow performers, I lack soul. Data, telling us why you're going to fail before you make the attempt is never wise. But is not honesty always the preferred choice? Excessive honesty can be disastrous, particularly in a commander. Indeed. Knowing your own limitations is one thing. Advertising them to a crew can damage your credibility as a leader. You hear that, Andy? Because you will lose their confidence. But I can't help it. And you may begin to believe in those limitations yourself. <laughs> I feel like people have more confidence in you when you call out your own flaws. No, that's not what he's saying. Whatever. Don't listen to this. You're not listening to Captain Picard. The one person you should be listening to always in your life. What does that guy know about being a leader? Oh, I love that music. Heine so Kleine Nachtmusik. It's Mozart. Why are they doing it now? I was a real Mozart nerd when I was a child. Were dude. you really? I was. That's a fun Andy fact that I've never known about. Yep. Everybody, write that down. <laughs> write that down in your Andy fact book. <laughs> On screen. Let's Federation see. creatures. Yeah, there okay, that's Arvis for sure. Planet of Talisina. This planet was ceded to the corporate in section 133, paragraph 77 of the Treaty of Armenians. We will begin settlement of this world in four days. Remove the humans. The Federation fuck? creatures. There are humans on the fifth planet. Kind of just saying, what the fuck? <laughs> I think he was going to. Cal Cygna 5 is in the Delore Belt. Heavy concentrations of hyperonic radiation. Humans can't survive in that environment. Exposure to hyperonic radiation is fatal. Then the Sheliak are asking us to chase ghosts. No, number one. Shelliak haven't broken a century of silence to send us after phantoms. There's so many aliens that An investigation have been is in silent order. for a century. Set course Love for it. Tau Sigma 5. That's what happens when you're in space that long, you know? They've been the, you know, the Federation's been around for a couple hundred years at this point, you know? It is interesting, though. That they're like that's the, the Sheliak are such a hostile race toward humans. It is interesting that they're not they're warlike. Not, I don't think they're hostile. I think they're just annoyed by humans. They look down on them and they want they're willing to eradicate them at a moment's notice. I think uh, under the fairness of their treaty, sure. Uh huh. Um, I had something else I was going to say, but you know what, pal? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, it's it's late. <laughs> Oh, I remember what I was going to oh, say. Great yeah. teaser. Oh, you like that Solid teaser. teaser and strong. I, that's one thing that's like right off the bat. Um, just a really, they really, they're, I don't know in terms of hitting their stride how I feel about this episode and I can get into it more later. I feel like it's a, still a little tepid. I feel like it's like good. Everything's good. Yeah. The characters are clearly solid. Um, you know, to to uh, our listeners' complaint about our low ratings, it's sort of like, uh, for me, I judge it by how much internally I'm like, this is awesome, or this is moving, or this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. 
And I just kind of feel like yeah, this is this is reasonable storytelling. Yeah, I agree with that. They're now inoperable. So are the ship's phasers. How can humans survive down there? They must have found a way to adapt. Mylan's work with radiation sensitivity suggests it is possible, perhaps with extensive virotherapy. Well, whoever they are, however they survive, we've got to get them off the planet. By treaty, that world still belongs to the Sheliak, who are within their rights to demand the removal of these trespassers. If we don't remove them, the Sheliak will, forcefully. How forcefully? The Sheliak consider humans a lower life form. They would have no compunctions about exterminating the intruders. Cold. If you're unaffected by hyperonic radiation, I'd like you to go down to the planet via shuttlecraft and commence evacuation procedures. Aye, sir. Peace. Number one. In one of the only times we're sending you down Any alone, even though it should happen all the time. Down there. My guess would be a lone survey craft, maybe a dozen or so survivors. I bet that's not what they find. Well, I was a little confused on why there were so many people they just bred over 100 years. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how many... They didn't know that it was a colonization ship that went. Oh, you they know didn't what I know mean? what was there. They didn't gotcha. know what was there. They right. just assumed it was you know a small group. So a colonization ship, I have no idea how many people are on that. Andy, hang in there. It's the Ensigns of Command. Sure. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> In the early days on Tau Cigna 5, survival was more important than history. Understood. How many are there? 15,253, sir. What? 15,000? Three days, no transporters. We'll never get them out in time. Shuttles? Loading all the Enterprise shuttlecraft to capacity. Evacuation will take four weeks, four days. We need more time. No duh. Mr. Data, prepare the colonists for an evacuation. Aye, sir. Get me the Shaliac. Their home world is quite distant, Captain. This will take some time. Here's what I would have done. Uh-huh. I would have uh, immediately separated... Started to build a giant rope from w- the planet. I would have immediately separated the saucer section. Uh-huh. I would have sent oh, the star drive so back. Oh, smart, Matt. I would have sent the star drive back, and oh, okay. I would have started to have the fucking... I would have started to have the shuttle... I would have started to have the evacuation going. But why would you even have to send the shuttle, the star drive back? Oh, I would send the star drive... When he wants to go intercept the Sheliak ship... Oh, I see. I would, was, yeah. I would just be getting people off as soon as possible. This guy should be captain right here. I'd be like, all right, we don't have that yeah, time. Why we do you even have that, that fucking saucer Separate shuttle. the saucer section, guys. We're doing it. I'm doing a lot of cursing, and I understand that there are children listening, and I apologize. Well, you know what? At least they've written in to tell us. That's true. Oh, you know what I noticed about uh, Gilgamesh, whatever the hell his name is? What's his name? Gravesh? Gravesh? Goshevin. Goshevin? Goshevin? Goshevin. Goshevin? Yes, Goshevin. You know, it's a fun game trying to remember these alien names. Goshevin. It is. Oh, that was pretty good. I, I want to know what he's doing in this scene. When Data comes to visit him, he seems to be, he's like the leader of the people, right? He's the 15,000. Right. He seems to be really fascinated by this pool of water. He's like, work at, that's the aqueduct. I understand that. But uh-huh. like, why is he so into this? I touch like, my eyes and I have an allergic reaction okay. to Bo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Really? Andy's falling apart. 
<laughs> I'm not going to last long in Patagonia. Oh, my God. Uh, they have dogs there, buddy. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no is right. Okay, sorry. Lieutenant Commander Data of Starship Enterprise. He's an android. Here, hold so my he water is. tester. They are obsessed well, with the, the aqueduct. What do you want? My mission is to prepare this colony for evacuation. By the way, there's no... Why? Confusing this, this guy for not... to the Sheliac. Not evil. Who oh, yeah, the term is plural. The Sheliac are a non-humanoid, intelligent life form, classification R3. Well, this colony has been here over 90 years. We've never seen a Sheliac. I'd say that makes Tau Sigma 5 our planet. The original destination of the Artemis was Septimus Minor. The guidance system on the Artemis failed. Took him off course. Far off course. Well, listen. Let's get back to this. Oh, I like the... Um, oh, we should probably go over the meeting of... Uh, what's her face? Oh, yeah, Maybe. Artie. I was curious. Found a new toy, have we, Artie? Toy? Th- this is the most incredible android I've ever seen. Have you seen many? Actually, no. So what? what's that first. moment? She didn't... She oh. legitimately hasn't? Seen other androids? How does she know what an android is? She's from the Federation. I, I mean, the androids... We know what androids are. We don't have any. She had a robot in her room. She had a weird robot that was clearly made out of uh, gas cans <laughs> or pots. Yeah, like mufflers. Like I feel like they got. I feel like they like left the Paramount lot and went to that muffler place on Santa Monica and sure. just like said, "Hey, can you guys make us robots?" And they're like, "All right." Yeah. You that would get this excited over a walking calculator. That seems like an odd reference. Cybernetic intelligence fascinates me. Are your neural pathways duotronic? No, positronic. I didn't know that was possible. What's your memory capacity? How many operations per second? I have a million questions. I'm afraid I have no time to answer a million questions. I have a mission to accomplish. I need to know more about your people, and Goshevin seems unwilling to talk to me further. Side note about Goshevin. Did you notice anything about him? No. (laughs) Very, very bad dubbing and i was like is this all adr which is oh, sort of after clearly. the fact looping and uh, i just uh, checked uh, um memory alpha granger heinz's dialogue played goshevin was dubbed by another actor at his request one reason given was he was unhappy with his performance which could not have been true unless he was a total maniac another reason suggests that the director felt that heinz's voice wasn't right for the character of Goshevin as they pictured him, which also seems completely baffling. Like, unless he was like, you gotta get off my planet. You don't belong here. I am Goshevin. My grandfather died on that mountain. Only you could be so excited about a calculator walking around. <laughs> it's really weird. I can't believe they'd spend the money to ADR an entire performance. So insane. So here's the deal. It has to be that Cliff Bowl didn't like it because there's no fucking way on earth that an actor would be like, no. I don't like my performance. Please ADR this. <laughs> there's no world. No. There's no world where that happens. Get the fuck so. out of my... That must have been his reinventing it because he was so clearly dubbed over. Oh, that's but what could it have been? Weird. That's a question I want to ask someone. Wait, what is his name? Uh, the actor's name is... I just lost the fucking... Oh, I cursed again. Man, when I get tired, I we get... We are... 
I sailors. cuss up a storm. We are sailors. Um, oh, I went to the wrong. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm a f- mess. I was going to curse again. Um, <laughs> Weirdly, we were going to do 9 o'clock, and then Andy pushed it to 9.30. <laughs> Granger Hines. You wanted to be more of a mess. Granger Hines. Yeah, let me look him up. I'm looking him up. That's what okay. I'm doing. Well, let's everybody look him up. How do you spell Hines? Look him up at home. Like Hines Field? No, like Gregory Hines. Oh. Okay, so Nick. here we are. I, this is Gregory Hines' hair transplant testimonial. <laughs> what? It's two minutes and 56 seconds long. I didn't know he had tra- hair transplants. I can't wait to hear his voice. He's a patient of Dr. Mark Dower. For about two weeks after wait. your first procedure. <laughs> it's not Gregory Hines. Tell us a little bit about... Gregory? No, it's almost two weeks. Yeah, yeah, almost two weeks. Tell us about how the day was itself, the procedure, um, how the recovery was, how you feel now, and how you feel about doing it in the first place. Well, the day the day of, I was tremendously... Um, anxiety. You know, I just didn't know... I didn't know what was what was going to happen. I mean, I was excited, but at the same time, I was. I, had, huh, I, I can't wait to get this hair done. But I have to say, it was an absolutely. It's uh, not pretty endless, bad work. Um, uh, experience. It's great work, yeah, guys. I think I think Andy and I know what we're doing with that <laughs> that Ripley's money. Uh, I want to hear his voice, like. I mean that sounds like him, right? It, it it sounds like a slightly more I don't know if the word is Jewy or I'm a Jew. Um or I can uh, say it, I'm a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, I can be completely anti Semitic, I'm a Jew. Um I don't know. It's like sort of schlubby, I guess is why I'm sort of using the, the, the term Jewish. But he, another actor so, did it or did he do it? it? No, another actor did his voice in this. That's so weird. Yeah. Well, uh, he's Granger Hines. Granger, this guy, if you're out there, give us a call. Oh, and by the way, that was that information was from the Next Generation Companion. So, oh, um, Larry, need oh, to check. sweet, I found uh, his uh, his hey, acting reel. A few years ago, the guy's up for parole. I need you to make a statement at his hearing. And you took me off a crime scene for this, Chief. Oh, NYPD Blue. There have been rumblings about your team. How do you mean? I need an honest no, assessment of what these Miami. kids are up to. Okay. Our salary is second to none. But one of your CSIs is an open leak to the media. He's very well, New york but I don't know what... He's more of a follower, really. You play a lot of online video games, Mr. Coulter? I tried to get him into sports, but he never took to them. You familiar with a game called Renegade Massacre? <laughs> it's just a game. I don't know what would have been the wrong with his voice. play online games with other kids. All the time. That day we lost a child, too. This is just as crazy as her mother was. It's not my problem. She is not going to drill on this land. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's that bad, very, I gotta say. That's, uh, that's pretty... Gilgamesh-y. Yeah, go, go, go. What's his name? Gogoshin? <laughs> Goshevin. Govishin? Goshevin? Goshevin. Goshevin. I can help you. Yeah, it feels like it's right on target. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is. I love this. I love this scene. We're giving you an assignment. The one thing we don't want to hear is that it's impossible. I need the transporters to function, despite the hyperonic radiation. Yeah, but that's... Im- 
Yes, sir. I love it too. <laughs> it's really nice. That's like that's the the epitome the epitome of a protocol scene. It's got character. It's got stuff about you know the way the chain of command works. It's really nice. I like that uh, O'Brien says nothing and just sighs. Yeah, and then walks out. That's why he uh, moved up the chain because he could do he could make a lot Even out of little. If we get the Shelly to talk, they're not likely to be accommodating. Captain. When the treaty was first negotiated, the Federation sent 372 legal experts. What do we have? Thee and me. Is that a reference to something? Thee and me? Thee and just, me? Is uh, just a Shakespeare thing? You and I, I guess. It's just uh, the, the, a fun way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of these fun ways. Sure. You know, Picard, he's always uh, saying something, you know, having a, a play on language in some way. These people, may I offer a compromise? Denied. Why? The law is paramount. We are entitled. This is not a law. It is a treaty. It is designed to smooth relations between races, not to act as a straight... Jacket. You really think we'll have to leave Tau Sigma 5? The possibility does exist, yet Goshevin seems unwilling to prepare for it. Why? Maybe because you're an android? I don't think Goshevin likes the idea of machines ordering him around. I'm not ordering him to do anything. I am merely trying to persuade him that his people should prepare to evacuate. A substance composed of Two atoms of hydrogen. It's not water. It's blood and it's sweat. It's the result of 90 years of combined effort. This isn't a town. It's a monument to every man, woman, and child who's lived and died on Tau Sigma 5. You know, I thought that the ADR was because it, the water was too loud. Like, I thought that's what happened. It's so weird to me that they... There's like two different versions of that story where it's just pinning it on somebody's evaluation of the performance. Goshevin, you're talking nonsense. Am I? My grandfather is buried on that mountain. He died in a rock slide surveying the route for this aqueduct. This colony exists because of his sacrifice. He died on a rock slide. No, we are not leaving. The Sheliak will not accept humans on their planet, and they will not hesitate to use force to remove you. We'll not be bullied off our land, not by you. And not by the Sheliak. By the way, that Sheliak ship, I think, is kind of awesome. And Stubborn I think it's from Star irrational. Trek Three, the now merchant cargo doing? ship. Would you like one? Yeah. Okay. There'll be one at your house when you get home. Hooray! That's how it works here. <laughs> <laughs> Discovered it. Ah. Ah is right, Data. The lives of 15,000 people are riding on you. You'd better get innovative. Break her out. Data? Oh. Yeah. Is this a scene where he says, do something with that fancy positronic brain of yours? Yeah. I really like that. Oh, well then. And that was old school Jonathan, uh, like, Riker. I was saying, my sense was that when he was being all smiley in the previous episode, it's like, oh, I wonder if they took a turn and he's now into, you know, friendly uh, Riker. Sigma 5. Mm-hmm. But then he was cracking Two the whip on Data. Well, he's motivating. He's a good commander. That's right. We're going to intercept that ship. Did he command you when you guys were hanging out? That's a hostile act. What? Did he, when you were like ordering Chinese for something, it was like, we're not getting that. 
Myra, for getting the Chinese broccoli. No, I... It's healthier. Uh, I did a lot of the ordering. We have to take. <laughs> Everybody's got their specialties. Trust the fat guy. <laughs> the Enterprise is going to intercept the Sheliak colony ship. Now, your job... Well, you know what your job is. Commander, in human parlance, I do not believe I can get the job done. My training has prepared me for Starship Command duties. As a cultural contact, I am proving to be less than exemplary. What's the situation? Their leader refuses my counsel. He denies the logic of my arguments and speaks of structures they have built. Then try something else. I have, sir. In the last three hours and eight minutes, I have spoken with 56 colonists. Ten of those refuse to believe a threat exists. Twenty-two favor staying and fighting the Sheliak. Four flipping off. Sixteen prefer negotiation or some sort of passive resistance. Five asked if I can get a boner. Consider evacuation. <laughs> of those eight. Data, I can't help you. I don't know these people. I haven't talked to them. You have. Use that fancy positronic brain of yours and carry out your mission. Sir, if I do not succeed, how violent is the Sheliak reaction likely to be? The treaty is the only thing that prevented them from eradicating the colony the moment they discovered it. Ah. Ah. Right, Data. The lives of 15,000 people are riding on you. You better get innovative. Riker out. Data? We're having an effect. I like that Data... I like that uh, Riker went to the observation lounge to have that little powwow with Data. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like... Sure. It's fun. I'm going to switch up the... uh... I... And they follow up. Here's now the second scene of them trying to fix the transporter. This is Picard walking in. This is a favorite scene of mine also in this episode. They're beaming back. Uh, they're testing it with these uh, containers, and the containers are coming back in various malted forms. Now, are we progressing, Miss LaForge? About like you'd expect, sir. Splendid. Splendid. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Once the impossible. That's the short definition of captain. That's pretty uppity there. I love it. I love that. <laughs> He's throwing it back in Wesley's face, even though he said the same thing in the previous scene. Mm-hmm. This is Data trying reverse psychology. You all know of the Sheliak threat. Starfleet wishes to evacuate you for your own protection. Yet Goshevan has decided otherwise. That is his right. And I will not waste time trying to reverse that decision. I admire your conviction in the face of certain defeat. Though doomed, your effort will be valiant. And when you die, you will die for land and for honor. When he does the golf clap, slow clap. Your children will understand that they are dying for a worthy cause. (laughs) Long after the battle is over, their courage will be remembered and extolled. Remembered by who? Yes, that is true. There will be no one left alive to remember. A sarcastic clap. 
Their technology is advanced. Valiant try, Android. <laughs> Valiant try, Android. Sure. That's the story. That's the autobiography of Data. I think you skipped over when the girl makes the move on Data. I should probably get to that. Get your mind out of the gutter, buddy. Uh, what what move is it? What are you talking about? When they ki- the, she, she kisses, kisses him. him. When is that? Is it after the? It's prior. Right. I must assume prior that your to intention was to express. Oh, this here. Public meeting. Is there any indication that Goshevin has changed his position? No, but a meeting will give you a chance to present your recommendations. So far, my attempts at persuasion have been ineffective. That's kiss music. Sure. Why did you do that? You appeared to need it. Among humans, a kiss usually serves to seal a friendship or indicates support, attraction, affection. In this context, I must assume that your intention was to express support. You really don't understand human behavior, do you? That is something of an understatement. Well, sometimes I don't either. Androids are a lot more rational. Thus far, that quality has not helped me to accomplish my mission. A rational argument isn't always enough. Maybe to be more persuasive, you need to use a little reverse psychology. Which we just saw. Alien race communicates with another is quite remarkable. I feel like we gotta hook that girl up with Jordy. Or maybe they'd be totally uninterested in each other because neither is a machine. They'd have a lot to talk about. <laughs> we are stranded. When did you first kiss Data? Well. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we you could have, have a club where you just had I sex with machines? I've never met anyone else who thought that. Sismarith. What did I just say? Cup. Glass. Are you sure? I may have meant liquid, clear, brown, hot. We conceptualize the universe in relatively the same way. Point taken. In your talks, you must Picard be extremely again. accurate. She is, I think, the treaty very useful is here. 500,000 words. The length was to accommodate the Sheliak. They consider our language irrational and demanded this level of complexity to avoid any future misunderstandings. Captain. We have the vessel carrying the Sheliak colonists on visual. On my way. So, it begins. Yes, Andy? I feel like Frakes has a weird sunburn in this episode. <laughs> he's very red. Uh, Maybe he's red all season, but I've only seen him in a couple of episodes. Granted. He's probably living, this was living the high life at this point. Was that an invitation? Hey, was he single? I'm taking it as such, counselor. No, it was he married Jeannie Francis like what the year before, two years before. Oh, what are you doing, Riker? Marrying Laura from General Hospital. What do you uh, mean? I guess that's what are you doing? Bit. Bet. They're still together. Are they really? Yeah. That's adorable. Thought we'd settled this. Apparently that is not correct. Still stirring up trouble? Since when is talk trouble? Mm, good point. It's over. Don't you get it? You had your say. You lost. I appear to be reversing that defeat. No, you're not. You're just stubborn. Well, let me tell you something. 
so am I. Damn you, Goshebin. You killed him. I've killed no one. I merely shut down a machine. That's it, everyone. It's time to go home. Nothing more to see here. You'll see that I'm right. When we're dead. We will comply with your request to remove the colony from Tau Sigma V, but we need time. The given time has elapsed. We carry the membership, and we will proceed with their debarkation. The temporary presence of these humans should not interfere with your plans. Unacceptable. You must remove the creatures. I'm trying, but the needed ship will not be available for three weeks. Then you are in violation. I have admitted that. Humans seem to take much stronger notice of actions. They gave the... Um, I require a phaser. The Shellyak creature's a little bit of a, an armacy. Well, it's like it's like a, he's in a giant uh, blanket. Is that what's holding him together? It seems like he's in a giant blanket. They're, just like, they're basically armises that decided to wrap a blanket around themselves. Yeah, they were cold armises. <laughs> cold armises. <laughs> they're cold <laughs> concentrations of evil. <laughs> Which makes them a little less evil because they're warmer then. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so Data gets to work on a phaser. He needs a phaser. Yeah. We're all like, why does, why does Data need a phaser? Yeah. And meanwhile, with the Shelly Axe. It's a wolf. Hailing frequency. Open. They're not responding. They don't have to answer. They just have to listen. Shellyak vessel, you will have to get past me to get at the colony on Tau Sigma 5. No response. Close channel. Get me that treaty. They've been beating us over the head with it for three days. Let's see if we can't find something in it that we can turn to our own advantage. Uh, Captain, this is the first time you want to read the treaty. This is this is what I'm. This is, this is my issue with that. And also, frankly, the, uh, there have been. I know there have been in the original series. Have we seen lawyers other than the one in Measure a Man? Is there not a lawyer on every? Or a treaty expert on every ship? I'm sure there are legal counsels everywhere. But usually what they do on the Enterprise is just have data read it. But with the... Oh, I see. So maybe it's just a... It's a dumb break in They're the like, chain of command. oh, wait a second. Data's not here to read this in Oh, I seconds. can't read this. This is an endless... Um, because it's just like, if that's their main thing, that should have been read immediately. Frankly, I'm not sure that that was Troy's advice anyway. She was sort of saying something about language, but it seemed very obscure. I think she was, for me, I thought she was just talking about like what, how, like the communication process with this species that communicates in an entirely different way. Right. When, when it should have, the advice should have been from is, the beginning is, hey, why don't we just really, like a bunch of good lawyers, go over the contract and find a loophole? Because I'm a doctor, not a lawyer. Yeah. That's what McCoy would say if he were here. He sure would. Anyway. Data starts uh, firing phasers like a like a data, mm-hmm. and then he comes out and he tells them about phasers. That was the stun setting. This is not. The entire aqueduct goes up. I can reduce this pumping station. To a pile of debris but i trust my point is clear i am but one android 
with a single weapon. There are hundreds of Sheliak on the way, and their weapons are far more powerful. They may not offer you a target. They can obliterate you from orbit. You will die, never having seen the faces of your killers. The choice is yours. There are other places, other challenges. Listen to Kantar. Listen to Kantar. Kantar really does make some good points. Listen to Kantar. That's a good t-shirt. Let's go, Kantar. (laughs) (laughs) Kantar does some... At least Kantar has his own voice. If if you watch the... um, If you watch when Data blows the the pumping station, Kantar makes the best extra face. He does. It's very (laughs) over the top. Kantar reacts. Uh... All right, so they so they uh, crack open that treaty, and quite frankly, Picard is very pleased with what they find. 1,290, I hereby formally request third-party arbitration of our dispute. You have the right. Furthermore, pursuant to subsection D3, I name the Grisellas to arbitrate. Oh, snap. I want to get with the <laughs> Yes, sir. I love when he walks over to the Enterprise plaque. That's pretty The great. dedication plaque. Yeah. Coming through, sir. I don't know why I went back to this, but... Pursuant to paragraph 1290, I hereby formally request third-party arbitration of our dispute. You have the right. Furthermore... Pursuant to subsection D3, I name the Grisellas to arbitrate. Grisellas? Unfortunately, they are currently in their hibernation cycle. However, they will awaken in six months, at which time we can get this matter settled. (laughs) Now, do you want to wait? Or give me my three weeks? Absurd. We carry the membership. We can brook no delay. Then I hereby declare this treaty in abeyance. Wait. Negotiation is permissible. You enjoyed that. You're damned right. (laughs) (laughs) Riker's never been more involved with Picard than right now. I feel like Troy's into it too. Worf's got a little bit of a ridge happening. Is there going to be a, an orgy on the bridge? <laughs> uh, good old Enterprise Sir? dedication plaque. Do you have that somewhere in here? No, I don't. Oh, I'm surprised. Some good space work right there. On screen. I wonder if that's in the script. Let's find out. Then he walks over. You may have your three weeks, Picard. It must the Enterprise. Be. Thank you. Captain? We can do it. We can modify the transporters. Excellent. It'll take 15 years and a research team of 100. Mr. LaForge, I believe we will postpone. Yes, sir.
Lieutenant Commander Data. You know, LeVar gets to shoot all his scenes in one day. Picard studies his nails, takes a turn around the bridge, settles himself back in the command chair. See, mm-hmm. that was on. That was a found on the set situation. Mm-hmm. Hey, why don't we go over to the plaque? Um, yeah, I really do enjoy that. Moment Seems like a classic much. Cliff Bowl move. <laughs> classic Cliff Bowl. So you saw that I was unhappy and and did what you concluded would make me feel better. <laughs> Rational to the last. Anyway, I'm out. <laughs> and then we get a last little moment with Picard. Your playing is quite beautiful. Strictly speaking, sir, it is not my playing. It is a precise imitation of the techniques of Yasha Heifetz and Trinka Bronken. Is there nothing of data in what I'm hearing? You see, you chose the violinist. Heifetz and Bronken have radically different styles, different techniques, and yet you combine them successfully. I suppose I have learned to be creative, sir, when necessary. Mr. Data, I look forward to your next concert. That date is going to be (laughs) A-OK. I really like that scene. All right, Andy. I really like that scene that they're, that's that's a very smart approach to how Data is becoming human and or is human, is his creativity and making choices and stuff. Um, I really appreciate that. I found a scene. Mm -hmm. Would you care for a little... Deleted scene theater. Oh, God. Um, do you want to come over here? Should I turn this around? He's got to stand up. He hates it. Well, I, have to get, I have to go over here. Um, you be Wesley. Oh, some more transporter action. I'll be O'Brien and Jordy. Interior transporter room. Uh, Wesley, Jordy, and O'Brien. Uh, there are now three intact test object and four trash ones, is when they're trying to repair the uh-huh. transporter. The these are three exhausted people. They've been working around the clock. Maybe if we bypass the auto sequence and decompile the pattern buffer. It's no crazier than anything else we've tried. That's Wesley. It's, that's Jordy. Uh, Wesley uh, drops by the panel, drops down by the panel, begins to tinker while Jordy places the last test object in the platform. Suddenly, the transporter console blows a fuse. Electricity races across the panel, and the console goes dark. O'Brien is not a happy man. Wesley slowly stands up. O'Brien struggles with himself. But can't master it. Ensign Crusher. Yes, sir. If you ever touch my transporter again, I'll kill you. Sorry, sir. That Great nice scene. Thing. It's a good scene. Great scene. Does does O'Brien have a line? I don't think he does. Oh, wow. He might he might in that scene when they go in and look at the, the trash stuff. No, but I don't think he does. No, I don't think he talks. I love if you ever touch my transporter again, I'll kill you. <laughs> I wonder if they cut that because it was a little too harsh, but I love it. Uh, well, that's delightful. Uh, Andy, it's time to uh, announce our most valuable crew member. I think you're right. 
It's the MVC, yeah, the MVC. Only Matt and Andy know who it's gonna be. Will it be Data, Riker, Troy, or Dr. Crusher? Gotta fill the time with something, at least until season three. I kind of want to give it to you for figuring out that saucer section <laughs> solution. <laughs> <laughs> Just to expedite the evacuation. That's all I would have done. Um, but, uh, all right, we got boy, Troy. Oh boy. It's a lot. There's a Troy's lot happening Troy's doing the here. language thing. I don't think that really solved anything. I feel like it's Picard who chose to do the lawyerly thing and dig into the, to the treaty. And then you got... And then you got Data, who obviously saves everybody on the planet. So we should maybe address at some point, in lieu of the ship being directly in danger, do we shift to who is most effective at the mission? To judge who's right, most valuable. But here's the crew question members. though, because the mission was to evacuate the people. Yeah. They can't do that without Picard giving them the extra, getting them the extra time. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I mean, I if mean, you, you finally to- get uh, data. Does what? Data blows up a fucking uh, pumping station. D- data, d- data uh, essentially makes them not have water for the next three weeks. <laughs> right. <laughs> While they're evacuating, they're like, "This is going to be a pain in the ass. Let's just get off this planet." <laughs> Um, no, I agree. And actually, it points out a thing I'm about to say in the Andes section of, uh, I just don't know about the, the the threat in this episode and how they, how Data figures his way well, out. Well, I think what the episode is really, uh, for me, is about, well, let's get back to the NBC okay. for a second. Um, There's nobody else, right? It's got to be, it's got to be split between Picard and Data. Yeah, I think I agree with Because you. the whole, the mission's split. Between yeah. the ship, the surface and the, and the ship. Yeah, and they never figured out the transporters, so yep. I can't give it to any of them. Right. All right, Picard and Data. All right, half point each. All right, buddy. The Andes. Or some other method of ranking. We're working on it. Um. Yeah, I feel like the there it, it's definitely solid. Like, we're on track now where there's nothing that's just like, what am I watching? Like, everything's good, all the... All the uh, the acting is good. There's more character stuff. I love you know Picard getting fed up, and uh, and then enjoying turning the tables. I enjoyed the intention of sort of exploring Data's character. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it culminates in that much. I feel like he's not the he doesn't. I don't. I don't really understand why Goshevin. He keeps repeating this story about his grandfather. I don't understand why people are listening to him. He clearly seems insane. They're all sheep. So what? Data scares them into going back? Shouldn't they? Why would they dispute so completely? Are you saying wake up, sheeple? <laughs> In a way. Uh, why would they dispute so completely that uh, that these other aliens would have at such advanced technology when Data's displaying that advanced technology from the top? Why does he need to do well, the data technology trick? is no more advanced than anything that they're doing. I mean, they had to invent new weapons because phasers wouldn't work on that planet with that radiation, whereas Data figured out how to make that happen. So they didn't have phasers, right? Uh-huh. Um, 
But she knew what an android was, but had never seen anything like him. Well, I mean, it'd be like if I, you and I ended up trying to colonize somewhere, but we had people also good at colonization with us. And then in 100 years, humans caught back up with us. Wouldn't they be that far ahead of us? I'm not following your reasoning. I mean, I don't know what your problem is. What I is don't, your question? I do, uh, you don't understand why they, were, why they weren't believing data? All of the plot turns in this episode seem tepid to me. They don't seem like the ship's never really in crisis. The big crisis is the people, and it's all dependent on them going, yeah, okay, we'll go off the planet. This isn't... Yeah, well, I, I, I don't look at this episode as a ship crisis situation. I look at this as a very character episode of Star Trek. Well, then you go to the character stuff, and I feel like it's mostly... It's, it's mostly on data. And what is his big struggle? How to communicate with humans to convince them to save themselves? His big struggle is that his whole, like, trying to just be logical and talk to them is not working. And that's what Data knows how to do. So Data has to then figure out how to do something else. In the original series, um, there was a... Uh, I don't remember the name of it. Uh, it was the one where Spock is on a shuttle, and uh, he's in charge of the uh, he's in charge of the the crew, and everything's going wrong, and he's too logical every step of the way, and he keeps putting the mission in more and more danger, and McCoy's getting angrier at him. That was such, and then at the end, he sort of gambles and saves them by acting illogically. That is such a more effective and high stakes version. Like, and really, at the end of that, like, everybody was going to die. And everybody is going to die in this, but they're only going to die because they're all idiots. And they should, it's like, there's no reason why they shouldn't listen to this guy who's like, hey, you're all going to die. I'm clearly from somewhere else. It's just, it's a little bit of straw man, which is like a fake, a fake danger. And I don't feel like it really plays out in a satisfying way in terms of why data, what data learns. Like so, he does the trick with the phaser. How does that tie? It's not tie the in? trick. It's it's not that he does a trick with the phaser. It's he, that he gets creative. This whole episode is about Data's creativity. It starts with him talking about the fact that he has no soul. Uh-huh. The episode starts with Data saying, "I have no soul." Right. The episode then you go into this problem that Data has. Data's trying his normal robotic android ways to do things. Uh-huh. The woman kisses Data. Data asks, the, why, did, why did you do that? He's like, because you looked like you needed it. Okay. Yeah, that was so nice Data thing. absorbs that moment. Uh-huh. Data then reaches out to the most human commander he knows, Commander Riker. He's talking to Riker. Riker's like, Data, just do what you need to do to get this done. Data then tries reverse psychology. He's like, okay, well, I'll try this, even though it's kind of like lying to them. Well, it's not lying, it's this. So Data then tries that. Then the guy shocks Data, turns him off. Data comes back on and then is like, okay, well, that's not working either. I really have to think outside of the box. I need a phaser. How do I get a phaser? So then I, I do, I think there's more of an arc here for Data than you're, than you're realizing because then it, at the end, it bookends with, the, with Picard listening to Data's performances and going, well, look, you might not have soul, as they say, but you... You have chosen these two violinists to play, you're, and you're choosing your command style. That was a nice tie-in, and it was a subtle way of addressing. And Data's he also character. kisses her. 
because yes. she needs it. So he learns. He's absorbing and he's learning. He's learning about humanity, you're saying. But I guess even in the way you describe it, it's extremely episodic. And we use episodic that's, as a... That's a great thing for me to see in a Star Trek as episode. A, see, I don't feel like... In, I like episodic television. I, I like episodic television, too. But episodic, in terms of a writing term, uh, as you know, means like, and then it's this, and then it's this, and then it's this. And it's not a progression of the plot in an exciting way even when he shocks data and it's like is he dead is he whatever does it hinder him no he just wakes up and then they move on into the next thing so it's all just a series of the same things of i have to convince him i'll try this way it didn't work i'll try this way it didn't work i'll try this way it didn't work i'll try this way it worked and it's not other than him trying different creative solutions which i agree ties in 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 picard's stance at the end storytelling wise there's not that much shift there's not that much tension and uh i i wasn't that high on this episode i like even though it, i like a lot I, of i like it. that it's contained uh, uh, and i think it it has very few flaws other than it doesn't really seem to have much story drive that i care about i give it a three and a half. Oh wow i give it a six Six, a little, little above average. Um, but I will also say I'm judging on a different curve now. So the listener who wrote in uh, has a valid point in that I'm now not looking at a completely <laughs> haphazard, bizarre thing with crazy character choices and going, oh, I like that Jordy did this thing that made sense. I'm now looking at a pretty solid episode of television and then asking myself, was I really in engaged with it yes but i mean for me it's like does it hit the average mark does it hit the medium which is five you know what i mean so for me i'm giving it a six because it's a little above average it's an episode that if i'm flipping through and i see it i might watch it for more than an act you've convinced me to bring it up to a four i didn't I wasn't intending to I know change that. your I understand that. But I think you're I, I think you're correct in that way from. and I was gonna give it a four anyway, and then I was I got mad as I started to describe all the things I didn't like about it. Well, there you have it everybody. It's time to find out what we're gonna watch next week. Uh, and a big thank you to the people at Trek Corps for uh, collecting all of these trailers and, and putting them on their feed. Trekcore.com forward slash Matt Myra. That's my page. I'm kidding, that doesn't exist. <laughs> However, we exist at Star Trek TNC uh, on Twitter and on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, if you want to call in, uh, you can call us in at 816-TREK-TNC. And if you'd like to write us in uh, a hail, you can send it to sttncpod at gmail.com. Wait, what's our phone number? 816 Trek TNC. Oh. All right. Anyway, here's the trailer for next week's episode. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, the crew discovers the sole survivors of an alien massacre. The attacking force prepared you for some reason. They're guarding a dark secret. A mystery that's destroying Troy's brain. A threat that's attacking the Enterprise. Commence rapid fire with all weapons on full. On Star Trek, the next generation. Rapid fire with all weapons on full. I've never seen that. That's nuts. Oh, boy. It's the survivors. It's the first of many. Troy's having a problems. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, Really uh, just uh, excited to be here. 
We're excited to be in in this season. Sorry. Anyway, sorry if I'm being too critical, guys. Andy, I think you're being a little too critical. I'm just trying to be, you know, I'm trying to be a good critic. Well, I'm I, I'm tired of it, so I'm out of here. <laughs> Well, I give myself a thumbs up, and I give Matt Myra a thumbs down. Disengage. <laughs>